Hello and welcome to this second episode of Wisdom for Meditation Teachers. And this week I got a chance to speak to Sabina Rebold. Sabina is a counsellor, psychotherapist and director of the Well for Life Centre. She holds teaching positions as a clinical supervisor at the University of Western Sydney and as a director of training at the Australian Association of Buddhist Counselors and Psychotherapists, which is a postgraduate course teaching the wisdom of Buddhism with the art and science of psychotherapy. Sabina has over 20 years experience in education, holding a previous teaching post at the Australian College of Applied Psychology. After the time I spent with Sabina, I just felt like I was floating on a cloud. Her wisdom and insights were so interesting. I loved hearing about her metaphorical mindfulness tree, and I do hope you enjoy this podcast. And welcome, Sabina. Thanks so much for joining us and being part of this podcast. And really looking forward to hearing your insights and experience with meditation. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to have this conversation. Yeah, great. Mm. I'm so pleased. And... I thought we'd just start with how long you've been practicing meditation for. So I started meditation when I was a teenager, so a long time. Yeah. Um, back then it was less formal, less there was less teachings that I had access to, so I, I just thought it seemed like a good idea, and so it started from there. Mm-hmm. And did you practice a certain tradition? Not, not in those days, no. Um, I dabbled instinctively when I closed my eyes and went within that a certain sense of peace and a sense of calm would be the outcome so I just liked that so it was very experiential I I came through it not because other people said this is what you should be doing and this is a good idea and this is how you do it but simply through my own um, you know experiments with it and was your experience with it what led you to teaching our teaching started a long time later, so um, definitely, yes. I mean, it's, I guess it's a natural progression. I mean, I teach a lot of different things anyway. I teach at university and I teach different courses. And so beginning to teach meditation was just a natural progression from my own practice, but also from, you know, my professional direction. And now do you practice only one tradition or do you have many approaches? Um... When you say tradition, do you mean like a particular um, Buddhist tradition or, or, or particular yeah. teacher or...? Do you follow anything mm-hmm. or do you just have different approaches? Do you um, teach only mindfulness? Do you teach other approaches, approaches yeah, to meditation? Um, I guess personally what resonates most with me is the, the Vipassana Buddhist teachings, so the inside teachings. I would say that if it, when it comes to Buddhist teachings, I'm more of a secular Buddhist, uh, meaning that I'm, um, I guess, I, the, the very, um, say, let's say, naked teachings of the Buddha really resonate with me. So that kind of informs me from the inside out, and I go to retreats um, that, that nourish my own practice and deepen my own practice. When it comes to teaching, I guess my first teachings were with people who had a serious illness. So I focused particularly on things like um, progressive muscle relaxation and visualization. So they they have nothing to do with Buddhist teaching as such. They're really much more. They were and are much more focused on 
physiology and body-mind connection and, uh, and health outcomes. So that was really the first sort of area that I started teaching in. And um, I myself was taught, or one of my teachers was Ian Gawler uh, at the Gawler Foundation. Oh. So I did, uh, I trained with him and um, in particular um, how to offer the, the kind of health um, types of meditations to people with serious illness and also their support people. So that was sort of in a way my, my first kind of um, step into teaching meditation. Um, and then out of that came the mindfulness, more, more, being more focused on the mindfulness teaching. I trained as an MBSR teacher, mindfulness-based stress reduction uh, teacher, and then started to offer those kinds of courses. And now it's kind of much more uh, open. I include meditation uh, in most of my courses, even some of my uni uh, uh, teaching that I do, because mindfulness has become such a big well-known kind of approach. Mm. It's a buzzword, uh, isn't it, for so, yeah, that's right. meditation? And yeah, and, and so many of the students are also now being asked to do, do mindfulness with their clients and patients, and, and, and uh, many students haven't had any practice with it. So we're also then, I, I might also include some of it in my, in my university teaching. And that's fantastic that you actually do that as part of the curriculum for the mm. for the course because mm. I just did a counselling mm. and community services degree right. and nothing they talked about mindfulness but there was right. no mm. actual teaching of mindfulness. Yeah. So And I think that is a common shortcoming that yes. even at, at, at a uni level if there is a component of mindfulness, it's a very intellectual, didactic kind of a approach to it rather than an experiential approach. But it really, it's in the experience. It's not in the in the in theory yeah. <laughs> uh, that that you uh, you know get to learn to meditate and also get the benefits. It's not thinking about meditation that, or being able to formulate you know the the, the frameworks of meditation. Yes, uh, that's really very secondary. It's good and it's got it's a it's very helpful for people to understand their practice and to have a framework for it. But it really is in the practice. Um, that people develop their 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 own uh, uh, um, meditation experience and also gain the benefits from it. Yeah, no, that's so true. That because um, you can get so because it's a mind, uh, mm-hmm. people get hung up on the knowledge mm-hmm. than actually the experience. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, yeah, that's and I, I find that a lot of um, research is done around mm-hmm. mindfulness and mm-hmm. and also just some funny ideas out there about what mindfulness can do mm, that mm. is some kind of superpower or mm, mm. yeah that you'll make you work harder and smarter and <laughs> yeah and and um i mean that's a really big discussion about um you, you know can we separate because mindfulness i mean the mbsr the, uh, a program was developed by john cabot sin as you know and uh, and his team and it was um, but they were all Buddhist practitioners at the time and they looked at the Buddhist teachings and they looked at what can we use to help patients in the hospital setting that we're engaged with um, to, to, to get benefit. 
because a lot of people say, well, I'm not that interested in Buddhism, and fair enough. Um, but they are interested in meditation or, or gaining the benefits of mindfulness. So from the original mindfulness teaching, it was very much about, um, uh, you know, like a, a much more comprehensive picture than I'll just have a bit of relaxation or I work smarter or I'm, you know, eat wise, more wisely. It was much more... Um, you know, steeped and, and re, you know, st- rested in the, the, the teachings of the Buddha. So, um, in a way, that's, I guess, part of the criticism, as you've just yes. touched on, that uh, it's no longer, in many ways, has that context, and so it becomes something, you know, I don't know, quick and easy and a, and a, and a fix-all kind of thing. Yeah. But that wasn't the original intention of it. That's right. And I guess what John Cabot's in is he took away any religious connotation to mindfulness mm. to then bring it to the West, to then present it to people to practice, to gain the benefits of training the mind. And it has gone down that road of mind mm. training. And and I, I feel that at least it gets to the benefit, if it gets to many people and they benefit from it, um, it's just that bit that become when it becomes too intellectualized that it just loses the whole mm. idea of actual practice. Mm. Yeah. And the original, uh, I mean, mind is how we use the, you know language in the West. Mind, we think of intellect and we think of logic and we think of the brain and, but in its origins, it's always mind and heart. The mm. original okay. word for mindfulness is always included. The, the, the heartfulness uh, just as much but b- because of how we use language it doesn't kind of translate well into that so it's always been a whole body mind emotion heart everything experience a holistic experience and not that disembodied kind of focus on the mind only so the original intention wasn't that but it's and also culturally, this is where we focus so much. So it's not not a surprise that this too has become such an intellectual. You know, there's such a focus on the intellect and yes. and, and the brain and logic and so on. And yes, and wanting to understand it more than experience it. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Is there a moment that you can um, define in your practice that you felt the benefits? Of meditation and mindfulness that made you want to go on to teaching I remember mm. that moment when it just all when I was um, being trained by Louise and I just got to that place and mm-hmm. it just all fell away I just mm. let go and just and it's like a stepping stone to another mm-hmm. level mm-hmm. of practice and I, mm-hmm. I, I really you know you don't go back mm-hmm. is there a time that you can mm-hmm. remember particularly or was it more of an unfolding and it was more a, of an unfolding yeah. that's a good word and because I've been doing it and, and it's, it's been part of my life as long as I can remember really so um, I guess what um, in the earlier days training to be a teacher wasn't really available at least not on my horizon I'm not a Buddhist scholar, I'm not really monastic, um, so that's not the direction I wanted to go. So when it became available, say through Ingall or, or the MBSR training, it kind of opened the door to actually s- feel like I could train, be trained so that I could offer. Um, so that was more like a, a, a turning point 
in in my life in terms of you know coming from my own practice to coming into teaching so um, it wasn't so much my own readiness uh, then the opportunity to be trained as a teacher so that I could feel competent uh, enough to teach to other people yeah okay interesting Mm. Mm. and and maybe I can just add something because Um, I guess for me it's not a thing I do meditation it is part you know it's an integral part of my life and it's part of my existence in a way so it's not like oh I've now I've got this and now I want to hand it to other people it's like it's to use the word that you used earlier it was more of an unfolding yeah uh, for me yeah especially in the in the area of health and, and well-being, working with people with a very serious illness mm. and, um, and, and their support people. Mm, that was a real, I could really see the application and the importance of, of meditation, different forms of meditation in their lives. Did you, and did you see someone really evolve with their practice or uh, is there anyone in particular, or is there a particular story mm. or just a general, you mm. could just see the benefits that people were receiving? The, uh, just using, I guess, that particular group as an example, um, having a it's, so it's not so much the practice evolving, it's more the benefits evolving. Perhaps that's sort of how I noticed then that their practice was actually offering them relief. And I mean, there's I, I don't think there is a single person that I have introduced to meditation or mindfulness that didn't get some relief or some uh, benefits from it yeah. and and with people with a serious illness it's often so difficult to navigate a serious chronic illness an illness that stays for a long time that doesn't go away with a pill or an operation or, or a bandage um, it's uh, finding a relationship with that difficulty that's chronic and that's here to stay that people have often find a lot of relief and so it's it's about um, not fighting it not 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 pushing it away not judging it not criticizing all the things that we we practice when we do formal meditation it's like letting it come letting it go um, uh, working with our reactivity um, finding ways to soothe our body and our mind through breath and relaxation like all of those things made a significant difference to how people approached or were in relationship with with this very difficult and often life-threatening and often life-limiting mm. illness that they uh, that they had in their lives so um so you know very profound really profound shifts and changes for people um, and then of course the other part uh, is people often benefited uh, in their pain management like the, I did an MBSR program and it was for the general public um, but one person with um, severe rheumatoid arthritis came t- I actually bumped into them six months later or something and, and, and they said to me you know you wouldn't believe it but my pain is about 80% reduced Wow, um, that's from do- since doing the, the MBSR program um, so you know they're the kind of comments that 
um, you know, that kind of just are really significant. And I'm not saying, oh, everyone's going to have this, this experience or everyone's going to have such a turnaround. But I have no doubt in my mind that when people are introducing meditation into their lives and are committed on a regular basis to practice it, that um, their ben- the benefits will just be Obvious, significant. Significant, yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. The challenge is yeah. too, you know, yes. and this is one of the things that I say to, to my students is it, because often mindfulness and meditation is portrayed as you close your eyes and then you go into this land of bliss and 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 joy and delight and of course it is not like that it's when we close our eyes and we go within we meet ourselves yes you know the good and the bad and the ugly (laughs) so so it's like so but but meditation and especially a good teacher can then tell us to again find a relationship with that which is difficult um that is not about pushing it away or judging it or, or um or dramatizing it, but it is about having a, a, a I guess, a, a, a more grounded um, relationship that some people call equanimity, you know, that that kind of middle way, that middle path, not reactive and not suppressive, but the middle path. Yeah, and, and it, I guess this is that acceptance, isn't it, of what it is in the moment, whether it is good or bad, it's just that acceptance, being present with it, and, um, and that can sometimes be hard work to get to that. Yes. Because you may, you know, like, again, using someone with a serious illness, if they touch in on what it means to have this ser- serious illness, they may be a, a thousand miles away from equanimity mm. or from acceptance or from... But it is about... So it is about learning how to be with it. It's mm. about... And that may involve a lot of, you know, pain, working through the layers of pain, working through the layers of resistance. But it really is another place to stand because, as we know, neither suppression nor um, uh, uh, reactivity will ever lead to peace of mind. Mm. But cultivating, and I really love this word cultivation um, because it kind of... Um, I don't know, conjures the, the idea of a field being uh, planted with seeds and then watering it and, you know, and the field needs to be ploughed perhaps and prepared beforehand and, and, and putting fertiliser on and keeping the bugs away and, and growing um, and seeing the, the seedlings grow into the plant. That's a bit like, it's a very good analogy for practice because we need to keep coming back to it mm. and, and nourishing and nurturing it and then, um, you know, we get the benefits. Yeah, it's hard. That tendering to the garden and, and then it's always mm. ongoing as yeah, well. That's right. You know you can't leave a garden and mm. expect it to be all beautiful. You yeah, have exactly. to give your attention yeah. to it and give mm. it time. That's and I think so that's true. what you mentioned earlier, that it's become devoid of the the kind of rigor that really needs to go into it I mean mm. it's a bit like you know I could th- sit here and think about the gym and, and think about what I could do uh, when I'm there and 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 you know all the I could imagine it in great detail but it actually doesn't give me the benefits of actually having done a workout <laughs> so you know it's a bit like that it's you know, def- yeah like, so true covered some 
most of my questions really. I just one thing, and we kind of talked about this a little bit, but just you know all the apps and all the different traditions of practice. Do you believe they all have value, or do you only advocate for certain practices? Or yeah, uh, you mean um, practices themselves, or yeah, or, do you only or... advocate for mindfulness and um, mm. or or do you and mm. Buddhist traditions or do you see the value of all sorts of like visualization, oh, meditation? Absolutely. Yeah. So what I when I teach meditation, I I um, teach various types of the the progressive muscle relaxation, um, and and I speak about this maybe with the last question because I think that's a very important question. When I read it, I thought that was something important to say about that. Um, I think it's really important that people learn to meditate like it's a skill that can be learned and then there's a there's a an opportunity to learn different styles of meditation and it depends on you know whether they are part of a, a, a buddhist or another religion it's not just the buddhists who meditate i mean it's very very much part of um of of every religion really and every religion has their style of contemplation and meditation. So it may be in their face, it may be in their... Um, uh, it, but it may also be something that the neighborhood center does. And, and you know, that's very secular and, mm. and very much just about learning to still the mind. Mm. And, and it's... Um, or it can be something that people listen to on, on an app or uh, on a... Uh, you know, on YouTube or... But what it boils down to is one: what do they need? What do they want to achieve with their meditation? So, is it relaxation? Is it presence? Is it equanimity? Is it uh, insight? Is it a visualization? So, a more generative meditation, like a visualization, is yes. we generate something on the inside. Um, is it a health based? Do I want to work with the cancer or with the health condition? Uh, is there a relationship um, uh, scenario that I want to work with? Like, what is the intention? What do I want the outcome to be of my practice? I think that's a very helpful um, thing to be clear about because that informs the kind of meditation practice that I choose then to do. No point me trying to go into deep insight if my body is all t- tight and in pain and, and, and whatever. Um, it's uh, so th- that determines what and the other is what do people love doing yeah y- you know it's like what rocks their boat it's it, I mean if I had a dollar for everyone who says oh you know I'm not very good at meditation I really <laughs> would like to do more meditation you know? I can't do that thing meditation I've tried it yeah, it's not for right. me that's right <laughs> or, one person in the world that can't do you it know, or, or, oh yes I know I should be doing more med- you know it's such a there is such a um, that it, it creates such an uncomfortable in environment internal environment then in relation to meditation because it's become something have to do or I should be doing or you know it's really uncomfortable but yeah I'm supposed to you know sit for 10 minutes every day and 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 that kind of takes all the fun and joy and the delight out of it and and the benefits in a way as well it's like if I can have an easy joyful relationship with meditation then it calls me rather than me having to drag myself to do it 
So, um, so I think it's really important that people find what that is for them and then do that. So it's less about you should be doing this, but what is it that you feel passionate about? What do you love? What makes you feel really good? What gives you the outcome that you want from your practice? And then that becomes the, you know, the guiding light in it all. That's so true. And, and um, that's so it's such an individual experience. And what made me think of even asking that was, I guess, what I, um, what happened to me is I was introduced to visualization, mm. meditation, mm. very like early on when I mm. got into meditation and that became my practice and mm. that was what everyone around me was doing. Mm. And I found that very dis- destabilizing mm. and very ungrounding mm. and mm-hmm. going on those kind of sort of mm. metaphorical journeys. And then when I trained in mindfulness, mm-hmm. well, that's when I really changed mm-hmm. and became grounded and centered mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. present mm-hmm. and I didn't oscillate between emotions as mm-hmm. much. It became mm-hmm. a lot more balanced mm-hmm. and which I never got to in those other... Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so... But mm-hmm. absolutely, and I, I not to say I wouldn't do a visual meditation now, definitely just not the sort of thing mm-hmm. I was doing and, and um, there is so much information there is so many different apps and different approaches and different teachers and I'm pretty open to um, most experiences Mm. Um, I did go to a funny meditation class the other day and they had bucket seats and people were snoring and I thought oh that's funny kind of meditation but you know each their own (laughs) I think it's called sleep (laughs) snoring is a a dead giveaway a lunchtime nap class, which that's beneficial too, you know. That's right. <laughs> it was quite funny. But and sometimes um, people just need to sleep and not meditate. And they had a big blanket on them. I was like, okay. <laughs> and you know what's lovely about your story is that you um, uh, uh, that you you know kept going. Like sometimes people give up because they go, well, I didn't like that, and mm. so meditation is not for me. Mm. Um, but it is about looking for what is it that suits you best, and and then yeah, stay with that. That's so yeah, exactly, and um, and also not to give up. Um, yeah, and then mm. you, it's like you plant a seed, and mm. back to the garden analogy mm. of planting that seed and coming back and tendering and tendering mm. and. Mm. Yeah, and and that is um, yeah, that that's right. It's so important to yeah, just find your own path with it, and a good teacher can really help with that. You know, there's so many questions that can can come up, especially when you know practice. You've been practicing for a while, and and a good teacher can really lead you into into directions that by yourself you wouldn't have thought about. Yeah, and teachers can come. They don't have to be live in front, standing in front of you, but they can be. There's so many resources online now. There's so many audio books. There's so many um, uh, podcasts and and interviews and f- all kinds of free stuff. And so there's a lot of and books, of course. There's lots of books. So there's a lot of instruction that can come from various sources. Yeah, no, definitely. It's just it's such a. It feels like it, there's more and more, but sometimes I wonder, is it because I'm involved in it that I just mm-hmm. notice it more and more? Mm-hmm. But it does mm-hmm. seem to, it feels like it's everywhere, mm-hmm. and, um, and which is, yeah, it's, it, which is great. I definitely, I think everyone can at least try it and find some benefit. And Sabina, I just want to finish off with what would be the one thing you would like everyone to know about meditation? What was the one thing that 
mm-hmm. you think is important to know? I think the one thing is that it can be learned and that everyone can learn it. It's like anything else. There's, there's instructions, there are pathways, there are stepping stones. When I teach some of the classes that I teach, um, I give them what I call a mindfulness tree and I, um, and I explain that the roots of the tree that are in the ground, they are like the body being connected to the earth and the body needs to be reasonably relaxed and, and at ease and softened to be a vessel, I guess, for the, the practice. So then we do a, mind, uh, a, a body-based practice that helps the body to relax. And then I explain that the trunk of the tree is like the breath. Um, and the breath is in meditation, is the anchor, is the focus, is the place to come back to. can also contribute to relaxation, so it can, can contribute to the roots of relaxation that I just spoke about. And then the, the, the practices can be different types, as I mentioned earlier, that people can use a mindfulness practice. So um, opening the sense doors, being present in the here and now through the senses. Or it can be a visualization we touched on. Or it can be any other uh, 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 practice that a person chooses to do. And then the leaves are like the many benefits that come from the leaves of my mindfulness tree are the benefits yeah. like equanimity and peace of mind and clear seeing and you know availability and, and presence and non-reactivity and all of those sorts of things and and then overarching everything is mindful awareness because ultimately that's what we are um, that's what we are cultivating is this ability to not be caught up and tangled up in in thoughts and, and emotions and, and bodily experiences but to develop and cultivate that other part in us that witness that maintains the equanimity that maintains the stillness that maintains uh, the, the, the kind of presence no matter what happens and on, on the level of thoughts and, and, and feelings and body so um, so they're the, in a way they're offered then the stepping stones of relaxation, breath, practice, and then you just keep going with it. So I ask, you know, and I teach people posture, and, and so they really find their way into practice rather than thinking they just have to sit down, close their eyes, and hope for the best, because that usually doesn't uh, work for people. Um, so, so working. Um, yeah, you know, we're doing a course or working with a teacher or some teachings from books or other resources um, is really helpful to uh, support people to find their way into meditation practice. So just to reiterate what's the one thing, it's really, it, it's, it's a learned, I hesitate to call it a skill, but it's something that, that can be learned. And it's also something that we never... Um, um, we never sort of what's the word, you know, excel in. You know, <laughs> you we never graduate. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not like oh now I've got it now. Yeah. You know, it's it's an, as you say yeah it's it's ever changing it's ever evolving it's ever and sometimes you know the bliss experience is right there and sometimes it isn't. Yeah. And that's what life is about. You know? Yeah. So chasing bliss isn't what meditation is about. But it can offer something much more profound than that and much less 
dependent on having a good experience or not. I love it. Yeah. I love that whole tree mm. analogy. That's beautiful. Mm. Mm. Thanks so much, Sabina. That was yeah, terrific. Thanks mm. so much. Thank you. Great conversation. It really was. <laughs> and thanks for listening. Thank you.